Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 142. Thank you for joining us. Today, Bonnie and I journey to a land of hobbits and kiwis to chat with Colby alumna and homeschooling mother, Mika Byerly. In our conversation, we'll explore how homeschooling is different in New Zealand and how many of the challenges and rewards are the same. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic, and Colby homeschooling mom to four lads and lasses of middle and high school age. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. Stephen, how have you been? Been doing well, still have all the family around, so it's, oh, it's nice. been wonderful to, to have everybody together for several weeks now. Definitely, good deal, good deal. Well, we have a number of Colby families around the world. We've spoken to some in Spain, Germany, Nigeria, and the Philippines. We know of families in Canada, England, and South America, among many others. At an online open house event that Colby hosted at the beginning of this school year, I met a Colby mom in New Zealand and have been eager to reconnect with her. Mrs. Mika Byerly, welcome to the Colby cast. It's great to see you again. Yeah, thank you, Bonnie, um, for having me. It's a pleasure. I've been looking forward to visiting with you again. I was I'm really glad it has worked out for us to visit today. Would you tell us a bit about yourself and your family? Yeah, so um, I'm based in New Zealand. I have been living here for 30 years, so I wasn't born here. I am an immigrant uh, of uh, Dutch origin. <laughs> okay. And I am currently living in a very small town in uh, what's known as the Bay of Plenty region of New Zealand. Um, very beautiful area and uh, quite rural. Um, a lot of farming done here. Um, very strong sense of community. And uh, my family's lived in this area pretty much their entire life here in New Zealand. And I am moved to this area last year made a change in lifestyle and I moved with my husband and three little children <laughs> so I've got two girls um, and a little boy and my eldest daughter is uh, turning nine at the end of January and then my second daughter is turning goodness seven at the end of February and uh, my little mister <laughs> he is turning five at the beginning of May so um, still, as I say, we're still early on in our journey as a homeschool family ourselves. Mm -hmm. However, I come from a homeschooling heritage. Mm -hmm. So my sister has uh, six children, of which the eldest is now 18, and she has homeschooled all six and is still currently homeschooling the younger ones. Um, so she's been doing it quite some time. And I am a homeschooler myself. Mm -hmm. uh, in part uh, so my last years in what's known here in New Zealand as high school um, so year what is that in US terms I think that is year or oh, grade 11 10 11 12 um, so those three years I did through homeschooling and more specifically homeschooling through Colby Academy New uh, US so, um, yeah, that's a little bit about um, my family currently. 
we're using we're not enrolled with the Colby itself but um, I have I'm utilizing a huge amount of the Colby Academy resources both um, the textbooks and course plans to go with that so it gives a little bit of an insight as to <laughs> the context <laughs> how about we go back to what it was like for you as a homeschooler yourself, as a student, when you were in those final years of of what we know as high school, sophomore, junior, senior year, 10th, 11th, 12th grade. What was that like for you? It was a culture shock, I would have to say. Um, remembering I was um, 15 at the time. Um, my parents had made the decision already to homeschool my younger brother and my sister, who are respectively two and four years younger than me. Okay. So they had already been taken out of the school system. Due to my age, my parents had said, look, um, we know how this could be a challenge. <laughs> mm -hmm. We want to leave the decision to you. We want to give you all the resources. We want to give you as much information. But ultimately, you've got to make the decision whether this is what you, whether you'd go homeschooling or carry on mainstream school. Okay. And of course, being a teenager there is a whole load of conflicting <laughs> sure. considerations one um and two of the primary ones was really that I was academically inclined so I loved school I loved to study but I did not have a particularly pleasant high school um experience mm -hmm. in fact I um yeah it, it was not a good experience at all um at, but saying that I was faced as opposed to that to potentially being at home with my family 24 hours seven days a week without the ability to get away from that so right. um, I did have the saving grace that I had a part-time job so at least that gave me um, a sense of independence and an external um um, outlet yeah. as it were away from the family where I so that gave me definitely and in the end the the academic um, pull was just too great um, and I decided that I was going to go with Colby um, the right. first year was extremely difficult um, and I think partly because I was a, a high school student you're so used to having a teacher in front of you telling you what to do, um, telling you how to think, um, telling you how to do things. <laughs> yes. There's actually you. So that very first year, I essentially had to relearn how to learn. And that's probably the best way to put it. Um, now, I was lucky in the fact that I was a bookworm. And um, due to circumstances, what I read I could almost literally verbatim repeat back at a later date to you. So that helped hugely in my ability to make that transition. So what I was reading, so for me, book study was probably a lot easier than many, many other people that have to make that transition. Once I got into it, though, I was off. And it, it essentially, um, I like to call it my saving grace because mm -hmm. Um, English, for starters, was my second language, and throughout my entire life, after having immigrated to New Zealand, I struggled with it terribly. Um, I just couldn't get my head around it, 
And the irony of the situation was that with Colby Academy, because of the way it's structured, um, because it breaks the language subjects down in its components, so you don't get just English as one subject. Um, you have it broken down in vocabulary, composition, grammar. Um, for starters, I never did grammar. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't until I did homeschooling until I did grammar. Hmm. Then to add to that, the classical education of Colby Academy gave me access to Latin and Greek. And when I started studying those two languages, that's when suddenly the penny dropped on my English. Hmm. Um, and just to give you, I love using this this particular example because it, it's such a funny um, context. So when we first got to New Zealand, I didn't have, I, I could count to 10, I could say yes and no. My little brother, who was six years old, had learned the word hippopotamus out of all words to learn <laughs> hippopotamus now already at that time when we heard that word we were like who comes up with the word hippopotamus i thought shakespeare or someone must have been utterly completely drunk or on high on something rather than when he came up and decided that this was a good word for a an animal living in the in a river <laughs> it didn't make any sense and it wasn't until I was doing Greek that I looked and I'm going, hippopotamus, hang on. Okay, so that's two words in Greek. That's ipos and potamus, and that means river, horse. Huh. Now, well, that makes sense. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, I'm sitting there going, okay, that, that, that word doesn't seem that strange now. Right, yeah. You know, it, it, it clicked. And I think that was probably the biggest strength of Colby. It was this layering, this 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 deep integration, this um, ability to um, make sense of things that are not at all apparent at first sight. Mm. Um, and I think it actually um, not just developed my critical thinking because that definitely did through the ignatian method um you know you have a, you get an incredible um understanding of the capacity of research um mm. critical thinking asking good pertinent questions um but also i think you get and what i what is starting to become better known as a systems thinking perspective so you don't look at things so much in silos and isolation you get a far more holistic understanding of, okay, so language is not just language, or English is not just English. Um, there is a whole plethora that goes with it, including culture, anthropology, history, social, economics even. They all play back into, and you, you start to see that through the actual curriculum and the materials that you're using to study. And it certainly had that effect on me. Um, the biggest challenge I had to get over was the fact that with the education levels between where I was here in the New Zealand curriculum, and I was just at I'm, I was at the level I was supposed to be. When I got the materials from Colby Academy, I literally had to go back three years. Mm. So on paper, I look like I've done grade eight, nine, and ten 
twice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Except my grade eight second time round was higher than my grade, basically was the equivalent of grade 11. And we were looking at like the biology I was doing in the chemistry and they were essentially here in New Zealand were university entry courses. Yeah. <laughs> so that was an interesting um, situation. Also from an academic perspective for progression later on um, career-wise because how was I going to explain that when I got to or if I wanted to go to university? I wasn't going to say, well, you know, I've done up to grade 10. But in actual fact, <laughs> um, I think the good thing here in New Zealand that I must, that was already back in when I was um, doing it, was that um, the education system here is actually quite flexible. So even though you don't come through the normal schooling or even if you go through other ways or you come back to schooling after being away in the system, in order to get into university, they do university entry level testing mm -hmm. so that they can see where you are at and so it doesn't matter really yes it makes it easier if you have your certifications and your standards and all that sort of stuff that come from the mainstream but in fact that allows people who don't have those um, formal documentations to still quite easily say right I'm going to uni because if you can show that actually you're at that level there is actually no roadblock for you to get in. So, yeah, that was a huge advantage, I think, on, on the front on, on in the New Zealand system. Yes, I remember you mentioning a bit about this when I, when I first met you. I remember you also mentioning something about your family serving uh, Colby in a special way in New Zealand. Would you tell us about that? Yes. So um, back in 1997, my mum... Uh, reached out to um, at that time it was Francis Crotty mm -hmm. so that was our contact there and um, had responded to a Colby um, request to the international community they put their feelers out to see whether there was any interest of bringing Colby to other countries Colby Academy Homeschool so, um, and my mother had responded to that. Uh, she, my mum had um, talked it over with my dad. She'd seen the benefits and the progress it made and the changes it made in us and the three children. And here in New Zealand, um, there was nothing. We had no homeschool curriculums. Uh, we had no homeschool providers. Everything had to come from overseas. And even the Australian, um, I guess you could say market, was extremely thin on the ground mm -hmm. <laughs> it was very scarce and my parents were very impressed with it so they got hold of Colby Academy and said hey would it be possible we were interested and that kind of got the ball rolling and um, in October um, 1997 my mum signed an agreement with Colby Academy USA to start up a franchise branch of the Colby Academy Homeschool here in New Zealand and my parents became the Colby Academy um, New Zealand uh, homeschool. And um, so they provided all of the curricular materials. Uh, they did basically what you guys do at US. Um, and then with the support of the US, my parents did that for, oh goodness, when did they stop? 
it must have been after I went to Australia, so it must have been in the early two thousands mm-hmm. where where that where that stopped um, eventually. And part of the reason why that uh, really started is because the expenses were becoming so high that for mum and dad it was becoming a um, a cost rather than they couldn't they couldn't um, cover the costs anymore. Um, and part of that had to do with postage, um, yeah, and that's one of the advantages of the improvements in te- technology that we have today. Yes. Um, it's allowed those costs to come down far greater um, than was possible back then. But yeah, so they they were Colby New Zealand. So <laughs> not only am I a Colby ex student, I'm also part of the the actual Colby homeschool story, but then as a an international arm of that. Hmm. It's just a unique perspective, I guess, yeah. to hold. Definitely. <laughs> Yeah, and I remember um, going to a lot of the, like I, I remember helping mum and dad promote it and uh, market it and the contacts, the families that we came in contact with through that. What what did your homeschooling community look like then? Did you How did you find other homeschooling families and kind of get the word out? So homeschooling community here in New Zealand has always been quite strong, which I don't know whether that has to do with the fact that um, apart from our major city centres, um, the New Zealand population is quite dispersed and in some places are quite remote. So I think that's probably a big deal, a big part to do with it. The other part of it is that we, of course, live in a nation of two cultures. We have on the other one hand the more colonial European, but then we have the Māori culture. And the Māori culture works very much more from a family perspective, a family unit perspective. So um, also their education is far more um, viewed towards that. Their worldview is far more family, community, um, and wider tribe. Um, And I think that's one of the things that has informed the development of the education um, landscape here in New Zealand, which, as I say, really has allowed um, the homeschooling community to always be quite a significant part of the education. So they were always there. We got in contact through other homeschoolers, um, through camps um, and through um, other initiatives that we were already involved with. We, It's weird how that happens. Like you are busy with people, you know people, and then suddenly out of the woodwork you realize, oh, <laughs> you're a homeschooler too. <laughs> I've known you for like two years. How did I not know that? <laughs> Um, you know, that that type of effect suddenly it it kind of almost ends up coming towards you rather than you having to look for it. Um, okay. So and that's really what happened. So quite a significant, especially Catholic homeschool community started to grow up. Uh, we had our own Catholic camps. Um, so it was definitely and already back then uh, quite a significant. Um, um, establishment and now I think I was looking at the statistics the other day and it's like 1.3% of the educa- uh, so school age children which is from 6 here by the way not from 5 okay. um, 6 or 16 um, the homeschooling community makes up at least 1.3% of 
of that education sector. So when you keep kind of look at that, that's actually quite a significant portion. People can say, well, it's only 1.3. Well, actually 1.3% is actually quite a big section of the educational um, landscape. So, and that has obviously driven requests for the curriculum and um, things like that. And it's across every walk of life. Yeah, so we were definitely never alone. You never felt, I actually felt more, I guess, part of a community in the homeschool community, even back then, back in 1997, than I did uh, probably in the school system. Mm-hmm. The school system was very alienating, um, definitely in my case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting to see how similar, I mean, I was a public school product here in in the States. And just the experiences you're conveying here, whether it's the, you know, isolation in when you're in a school full of other people, or, you know, I was I'm a native. Well, I kind of joke that that English is my second language since I grew up in Wisconsin in the Midwest. <laughs> rural Wisconsin. My wife had took years to to even get 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 me to the point where where I was at. It wasn't. Wisconsin's fault. It was my fault, but uh, it it wasn't until I did learn Latin myself that that English started to make sense, and, and it was supposed to be my first language. But uh, <laughs> so similarities, at least, between the the, the states and the New Zealand. Let's talk about your life as a homeschooling mom now, and what homeschooling in New Zealand is like today. You've already mentioned quite a bit about the strength of the community there. So as a as a homeschooler yourself, did you has it always been your plan to homeschool your kids? I think it's always been in the back of my mind as an option. Um, however, as with many things in a marriage and a family, <laughs> you very quickly realize that you're not the only one making decisions. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> so although I was very comfortable and I had obviously from my own experience and seeing plenty of others in the homeschooling community and having lived in that um, I had very little reservations or fears or you know um, I think um, worries and concerns with regards to my children's um, progression well-being or, and academic abilities and, and um, development um, however for somebody who comes completely out of a state system which here in New Zealand it is because they're all state state owned schools, unless you go to special character schools here. Um, it's really hard <laughs> to get your head around how um, how can a child learn outside of that system? Mm-hmm. How how on earth does a child learn without a teacher standing in front of them telling them what to do? How does a child learn if they don't have we call it here NCEA? Um, so they're the national uh, achievement standards here. Um, how does that work if a child never sits any of the exams for the NCEA or any of the, how do you call it, where, where does that leave, how do you know where they are? And the beauty of it is, is that in definitely the last couple of years, we've had my father-in-law living with us. And he is obviously from, uh, well, he's from the old school. So quite often he will look at me and then he'll ask, well, how the children? So they're doing fine. See, will they be doing exams? No, they're not doing exams, or at least not in the way you think. So right. how do you know where they're at? <laughs> and so the conversation. <laughs> um, 
unfolds and you sit and you realize i guess as a consequence also how narrow we have become as a society in understanding what education is and what it's about <laughs> my husband was never a particularly keen on it he was never pro and we had the option where we were living originally at alternative um, good schools what changed that and I have a debt of gratitude as hard as the last years have been what changed that was COVID um, I don't know how much of coverage news coverage has come through to the US with regards to New Zealand um, um, how do you call it but essentially New Zealand did a similar trick of what the, uh, China did originally which was the COVID zero policy in other words everything got shut down everything <laughs> we were on lockdown and I'm not talking a lockdown whereby you could still go out and you know go run no we were on essentially house arrest everything at that stage to all the schools were closed everything went online uh, nobody was going out to their workplaces it was it looked like like we're talking the New Zealand's largest city and it looked like a ghost town it looked deserted and we didn't have one of these <laughs> we, had, we had the first one at the beginning of 2020 was the first time they did that to us and we were at least six weeks in full lockdown before they started to release the ropes mm. and then in the second half of 2001 um, they did um, we had several others earlier in 2001 but then 2001 at the end of it they did regional and Auckland was put on isolation regional isolation I could not get out of Auckland so my family's down here in Kaurau and during that period I could not go and see them and they could not come and see me we could not it was an internal country border and um, also outside I wasn't allowed to go to my church I wasn't allowed in the shops I wasn't allowed to I wasn't allowed to get into a, a doctor's office um, my children weren't allowed at school I wasn't allowed to go onto the school premises <laughs> so it was exceptionally <laughs> disruptive yeah. and of course through it um the children still had an education concern. My child, my youngest one started uh, during lockdown. Her first day of school was at home <laughs> because it wasn't open. By the end of the year, especially at that last lockdown, I looked at my husband and I said, what do we do? This is just, I'm basically homeschooling them already. So he had seen what I'd been doing and I'd gone over and beyond what was set in the school. And he said, well, actually, you know what, next year, homeschool, put the, put the submission in, see how we go. Um, it can't be any worse than what it is now. Um, and they're still thriving. So I think that whole situation showed my husband that actually alternatives could work and in actual fact even be a lot better, especially depending on how you approached it. So um, from that perspective, I'm extremely grateful to COVID. It's just one of the many, many blessings I've had out of the whole situation. And they've thrived. It's been a challenging year this year. 
um, this last year. And I say, yeah, <laughs> because what, what um, probably many people don't realize is that obviously here in New Zealand, we run on a slightly different school year. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering about so that. So you guys are now currently in the middle of your school year. Mm-hmm. We here in New Zealand are currently on our summer holiday break. So, and that doesn't end until the very first week or so in February. So I don't start schooling again until then. Um, And we have four terms with two week breaks between each, each term here in New Zealand. Okay. So yeah, that's, and so that's a bit how we ended up at the homeschooling. And when I knew when my husband said, well, let's give it a go I straight away started looking right okay start where I know to start and the most logical was Colby Academy that's where I started with all my resources it's where I started to read up what could be done um yeah and I put my um because here you put a um what do they call that in a school exemption application in okay I don't know how exactly it works in America but you have to write to the minister, fill out a whole load of forms. I think mine was 15 pages long, <laughs> explaining what resources you were going to use, what your weekly plan was, what your annual uh, curriculum. So you you basically plan it all out or write as much of it down in detail. Yeah. And then you send that to the ministry and they will say, yep, no, no, how to call it. And they'll also go back to the school where the children are and do an interview with the teachers there to say well hey what do you think is this person genuinely trying to get a better education because the standard is to provide and they say that too is it's to do homeschooling you either have to provide the same or better education so yeah i um i went through the process of applying it and for my eldest one i had my application back within two days uh two weeks from the phone call saying yep you're exempt your child is no longer required to show up at a um, at a school premise. Um, you're good to go. Um, but the second one, it was a bit different because, as I say, here in New Zealand, you don't need to legally be at school until you're six. And, of course, my youngest one wasn't quite six yet. She didn't turn six until February. So um, that one was kind of left sitting. And then once she turned six, that came through within a week or so after that as well to say, yep, she's good to go. Um and I later, the beauty was that I got a response from the principal who'd been contacted by the education office. Uh, and she rang me to say, hey, I've just had, I've just gotten off the phone call, the phone with the review officer. I'm here going with homeschooling and I think it's a great idea. I, I said to her, I think you'd be a, I said, you'd be the poster family uh-huh. <laughs> to do it. She just was so supportive and Good. it was I mean, it's one thing to sort of sit there going, you know, I know what I'm doing as a parent. There's always that niggling doubt. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't need to, yeah, I know I'm preaching to the converted here with regards to, you know, that sense as a parent using, am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I giving them the best? Or am I just doing this because of some personal, you know, preference um, or whatever else, and a self-interested uh, perspective? Um, but having that confirmation from 
the principal who I had known already for three years because Anyala, my eldest one, had been going to school there and seeing how the interaction says, no, you guys are perfect for it. I said, we are really, really sorry to lose you out of, out of our community mm-hmm. because what you have contributed and what the children have contributed. But she said, no, I can fully understand it and I fully support it. Good. Yeah, which gives, and it also gave, I think, a huge amount of confidence to my husband uh, who probably needed it more than I did. Um, and the ability to take this on um, yeah and it, it's it's not perfect sure. I don't I actually don't believe there is such a thing as a perfect homeschool um, and that's just because that's what life is it's messy um, and as parents too you're trying to juggle I don't know how many different obligations so yeah it's it's worked well for us Um but I can understand people's apprehension um, who have never, ever dealt with the system. Um, mm-hmm. As I say, I've seen my husband go through it as an individual in that boat um, and the transition it requires. Yeah, very, very sensitive to that. It always, seem, it always seems like we're so conditioned, especially with the public school sort of mentality, that yeah, you have to have these credentials and this education and things will... Not really. <laughs> I mean, and and the you know again the lovely thing is as we've gotten as my children have gotten a bit older too is it's like almost everything you can handle and you know what you don't feel comfortable with, you can outsource that. So there's usually somebody you can get help with. That's, that can be so helpful to get those messages of reassurance when when the transition time comes. And I know it was for me when we made transition from parochial school to homeschool. I, I was really grateful to receive some similar encouraging words from the school community that we were departing and similar thing. And that helped a lot because I, I wasn't as confident as you, as you were, but that sure helped. I knew it was what we needed to do, but I still wasn't very confident. So I think your experience is a common one among many homeschooling families with that uncertainty and the not quite being on the same page a lot of the time. And it, I think there's a lot of interest in, in the stories like yours, that because people are in very similar places. And yeah, so it's helpful to hear your story about that. I think part of it is too that you, we've been conditioned to really have an apprehension and almost an extremely strong aversion to failure. Um, but with that, we've kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater because the reality is is that the only way we learn is through failure is through experimenting so i really to all homeschoolers that i say out there and especially mothers or whoever the primary educator is there is allow yourself to fail your children need to see that because we live in a society where failure is seen as a massive flaw but that actually is an extremely limiting perspective to hold. It, we keep people very small by taking that perspective. And I think as a parent, it's easy to live up to the standards that society has set for, us, set for us, thinking that that's what we should be doing, when in reality our children, especially when they're little, 
and even more so when they're teenagers, need to see that actually no human nature, human society, human interaction, human community is all about failure and trying again and getting back on that horse. Um, I mean, my eldest daughter <laughs> is a bit of a, a perfectionist. She has that same, it's a con already after three years of conditioning in a school system, hmm? shows you how quick that goes, has an aversion to failure. And I really have to remind us that, listen, failure is just your first attempt in learning. That's what the acronym means, fail. First attempt in learning. Get back on, redo it again, have fun with it, try it a different way. It's only a lost opportunity if you don't actually choose to learn the lesson it tries to tell you. Um, and usually life is a funny way of coming back and trying to teach you again. Right. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like deja vu. <laughs> yeah, if anything, I think that's the support I would love to pass on to other homeschooling families, especially the ones that are taking the, the, the primary role of care because I know how much self-doubt there is. I know how much self-questioning um, especially with the way that society looks at it. Um, you are swimming against the current. Um, allow yourself to float sometimes. It's okay to fail. Yeah, I, and I, as you are talking about failure, I was kind of thinking of various things in that even in, when I was in public school, there, there was, you could fail, but there was, because there was this understanding of how horrible failure was, they didn't actually, you didn't really fail. You would just keep with the same students for the most part every year, moving along, whether you had mastered the material or made progress or not. So there's kind of like this saying, we don't want to tell you you failed, but we're also not willing to put in the work to help you succeed. Where in our homeschooling experience, and I think it's so important to keep that in mind, like you're saying that, it's like in our family, okay, my third grader isn't reading yet. Oh no, disaster. It's like they're in third grade. <laughs> they've got they've got years to get this and they do. Every single one has been a slow reader, but they get it and then they're reading super well. It's an example I've used before. But it's it's lovely when you have, you're not passing that child on. You, you as the mother are, are raising that child up for life and you're not going to let them really fail they can they can spin their wheels they can struggle with things but they're gonna be fine because you're there caring about them and keeping them making sure they're doing things it's not going to be perfect but uh and in many sense you the, the you kind of eliminate failure right because it's just it's a mastery it's a learning process and it's never going to be done so just keep at it right yeah it's beautiful the way you say that because i always come back to one of my my favorite um, historical figures, which is Einstein. He used to say too that he spent ninety five percent of his time actually formulating the question, and only five percent actually resolving it. And I think that isn't something you know taught anymore either. It's your failure ought to teach you actually. Why am I failing? Am I asking the right question? And how do I change this question then to get the result that I'm actually looking for? Um, 
and I think that's not just questions, obviously, mathematical. or it's, it's any kind of question. It's like whether you're dealing with goals, whether you're dealing with relationships, whether you're in the garden, whether you're praying, because sometimes that has just as much effect. You know, am I asking the right question to God? <laughs> I'd say nine times out of ten, mine aren't. <laughs> <laughs> Or yes. even better, should I be asking that question? <laughs> <laughs> you know, as you say, with your children too, being slower in reading, well, what's slow? And this has actually been the beauty of having, I guess, three generations in my household because I've got my little ones who are obviously, you know, and then I've got my generation and my husband who is seven years older than me. So there's a wee bit of a difference there too. And then I've got my, my father-in-law is 80 almost. And he says to, you know, oh, well, shouldn't you be doing this? Shouldn't be doing this? According to who? <laughs> Whose yardstick are we actually using here? <laughs> you know, some children roll within six months. Some children are walking in nine months. Others take a year and a half. Mm -hmm. As you say, they develop those curiosities, those capacities in their own time. And I think as parents, um, I certainly have. One of the things I love most about it is actually watching that unfold. Yeah. You know, and not not guiding it and giving it, it's like watching a plant. You give it all the compost or the nurturing, but ultimately the seed has to germinate itself. It has to do the growing itself. <laughs> you can't do that for it. And it's a, I find homeschooling is like that when it comes to your children as a parent watching it. And I know that that's one of the things that my husband has really noticed too. It's that ability to actually see them at home, see them interact and watch them grow into who they can become. Many of our students that come out of the systems are woefully unprepared, woefully unprepared. And that is really sad because you know, you think you've got the world in front of you and suddenly you're faced with this whole situation. Actually, everything I'd hoped for, everything I'd dreamt of, everything I thought I was going to get, I ain't getting any of that. Because I, I'm not I'm not at a, sta a standard or I'm not good enough to be able to make that. We're doing our youth a huge disservice by doing that. But also the parents. Because I can't imagine what a parent must feel at the end of it thinking they've done everything right to see a child in that situation at the end of the road and sit there going, well, you know, I, I tried, I've done everything I've been told I should be doing, but I still can't give you the life and the dreams you deserve. Um, and it must be very heartbreaking. I like that. I like those, uh, the, the, uh, the, the gardening references that you're making there <laughs> as far as you just, you just keep doing, you know, doing what you you need to do and because i do see even like from both a homeschooling parent perspective or whether you're in a public school or not where you do start setting those comparisons and thinking oh well my child isn't where that child is with that in this respect or whatever and and then the you know the child doesn't know that they're that that's a failure at that point so it's usually then the parents thinking i'm a failure as a parent why are you making me a failure as a parent child you should be successful you know so there's this this uh drama and and um darkness that can kind of come in there so it's i think it's really important to 
keep that in, in mind that this is, yeah, we're just gardening here. We're, we're raising these, these beautiful children up and doing what we, what we do, but they'll grow at their own rate. So, but, and they'll grow in their different ways. You don't never know, know quite what you're planting when it, when it comes to these little ones. True. Yeah. No, yeah. and that's the coolest thing. <laughs> yes. yeah. It's a surprise at the end. You go, oh, hmm, well, that was unexpected. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's beautiful what you say about that reflection back on parents, Steve, because one of the things that I remember very specifically from my mum <laughs> when she was homeschooling is she actually turned around to me I said look obviously you're learning you know the homeschooling is educating you but along with you I am too mm -hmm. and for her it was a learning curve of understanding how as you say you know we tend to reflect our children's behaviors back on ourselves and vice versa um but the fact that the growth in the child also nurtures growth in ourselves, uh, a maturity and an and opening as us as into our parenthood, um, something that we have through the system been actually quite painfully denied in many cases. I think the beauty is too that you'll come face to face, which is not always very comfortable with yourself. But you also come to realize where your limitations are. At a certain stage, I was struggling terribly with my chemistry, no, biology. And I was tearing my hair out. I'm like, mom, I don't understand this. And mom came over, looked over my shoulder, looked at my book and said, yeah, no, I'm out. I said, sorry, I can't help you. This is beyond me. You're going to have to figure this out. And it took me over a week to work out what it was I was supposed to do. And a lot of frustration. But after that, once it hit, the sense of achievement I had as a consequence of that, that sense of being able to go to mum, mum, I can now, I can, I, can I can show you what they meant. I can now teach you what they actually meant. That ability as a child, that sense of ownership, and also that sense of I have something to give, to contribute you know, to this relationship. And for a parent to take time to listen that, to that contribution is I don't know that you could ever put any kind of value to that. I don't think there's anything in the world that could replace that. And I can easily say that from me being in a career individual and starting late to my family, I had a career right up to the age of 28. But I can tell you, once my children came along, I couldn't go back to that career because I couldn't reconcile my worldview and my priorities anymore with the view of my career and the corporate world and that's just a very small glimpse of how parenthood changes you and matures you and allows you to grow and i think in today's society with the way that schooling is set up with the way corporate is set up we're stunting that yeah that does come up often the there are opportunities for relationship that the benefits of the relationships among the family members. There are opportunities to be, uh, that to take advantage of or not that, that we do to, to varying degrees of success, right. With, with how we are able to enter into that. But 
they're there for us yeah. anyway. Yeah. Well, in our family, my wife does the lion's share of the homeschooling. I'm there. But uh, I just can't, as you're, as you're talking about this, it was occurring to me. I, I can't imagine how difficult it would be for me to stay involved as a parent in the way I'm able to because our children are at home. Because I tend to be a delegator. I mean, not a delegator. If if somebody else is doing something, I just, they're doing it. I'm not go, I'm not going to be involved. And if I were to send my kids off to school, I don't know how disciplined I could be to actually stay involved in a way where I can now that they're here and I can talk to them and see them every day and you know do these things so that would be hard I think it would be I think it would really be a challenge if you if you didn't take the path to to say how how am I going to still have that relationship with my child how how difficult would that be I just I can't even imagine I can't I can't imagine how difficult that would be but even your relationship with the outside world don't forget that the closer your relationship with your child, the more you see the world through your child's eyes too. So your perspective as a parent is not just that of an adult anymore. You start to see intergenerationally. And I think that's a perspective that we have actually painfully lost. We can no longer place ourselves, like in my case, I'm still in my 40s. And, you know, can I place myself in my father-in-law's feet, shoes, who is now 80, who's at the end of his lifetime, how he sees the world. Can I see the world through my child's eye, my four-and-a-half-year-old's eyes, you know, uh, where everything is just so brand new, literally brand new, and the excitement that must bubble over as a consequence of that. Um, and I think as a parent that makes you grow internally it makes you grow not just in relationship to that child but it's, it makes you grow in relationship to your husband or part or wife it makes you grow in your relationship to your own parents um, and even more probably more profoundly your relationship to god because it brings a humbleness back you see the gratitude, you get an extremely grateful heart for the little blessings you get, the ability to see things that you might not be able, might not have been afforded if that, you know, if that child hadn't done that particular thing or your, you know, your, your grandparent hadn't done that thing or your parent. Um, and I think the whole relationship dynamics between you and the whole world out there, including your religious life your your faith life gets extremely enlarged and deepened as a consequence and i think our worlds have become far far smaller because of i guess you could say the compartmentalization of our lives like a child goes to school in kindergarten i have my career and that's separate to that of my husband's and you know my 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 parents or my 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 parents-in-law are in a retirement home so it's all this disjointed compartmentalizations in all our relationships you know um i go to church on a sunday but during the week i basically don't attend it's like and then we wonder why we get overwhelmed you know, you're trying to juggle all these blink and different compartmentalized jars when in actual fact just drop them <laughs> let them all smash <laughs> just 
drop it all. <laughs> you know, let it mingle. That that's exactly what it's meant to do. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's. I, I think, and that's probably the greatest gift that I have found definitely in this last year. Um, that I have found with the homeschooling. Um, that 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 mutual symbiosis of learning and growth it's not just my children growing it's me it's my husband and everybody that they come in contact with and how can you not love that yes yes <laughs> how can true. you not yeah. want that <laughs> well going back a little bit to the logistics of you being in New Zealand and making use of Kobe materials from the United States and your your calendar being different from the American calendar. How, how does that kind of um, shake out for you in terms of getting what you need in terms of support or you get to choose Colby allows you to, well, it's not a matter. You can start your school year whenever you want to with Colby and things like that. How have, how have you found that to be sort of interfacing with an American provider from where you are in New Zealand? Easy. Yeah. Really painless. Um, and as you say, it, definitely now, definitely now, with so much being online, um, with technology being as easy and as, you know, um, well, it's at the thing, at eight fingertips now. Yeah, so, okay. um, and I think the biggest challenge is um, really um, freight. Mm. So the the physical materials. And um, it's, and that has more to do with not where it's coming from. <laughs> okay. It has to do where it's going. <laughs> New Zealand is what we call at, at the very bottom end of news of the world. It is completely surrounded by water, so it makes us quite isolated. Yeah, especially from a logistical perspective. So everything has to come by plane. Everything has to come by sea. Um, now that obviously drives up especially in at the moment with you know COVID disrupting all the freight and everything else it sends the costs up ridiculous so you have to get pretty smart about how you do it so I love the fact that for example Colby Academy the science curriculum the Harcourts mm -hmm. which is what I'm using with my two children the one book covers two years yeah hey Eureka I don't need to pay as much on postage right <laughs> But all the resources I need for that science, I can get here. So I don't need to go overseas for that. I don't need to, you know, so yes, the textbook. And I went a step further because I got the textbook through Cobby Academy, but um, Cobby Academy doesn't do the workbooks. And I thought, no, I, I want, them. so I went online and I went and got those and sourced those myself. Um, from also, from, I think it was through Abe Books provider in the US so I managed to line them up and say right I need this one for this year and I need this one for this year um, but I think that's what's beautiful about it and then on top of that the fact that the curriculums are all online now it means I don't have to get those posted over you know um, I, if I want them printed I can print them out and I can put them in the folders for the kids um, at this stage I haven't really bothered because obviously I'm managing their curriculum there's too little yet to, but once I get to their teenagers, I can envisage just, I just put them in there and say, right, that's your maths, that's all your English stuff, that's your other bits and bobs, signs and goodness knows how else. You know where you're supposed to be this week. 
So make sure you're there or thereabouts. <laughs> yeah. And progress on to the next thing. So I think that's one of the the nice parts. And in reality, our school year is only shifted by half a year. So from that perspective, it's not like you're having a, a quarter year term. It's actually a full half year, which works quite well. The hardest one to accommodate is history. Mm. Because here in New Zealand, um, we have really lousy history. <laughs> As in, there aren't many history resources. And of course, if I get history from the US, it's all US-based, which doesn't really mean much to my kids. <laughs> right, yeah. you know? I mean, it's important to know about other people's history. But um, I think as the child grows, that awareness expands to the more global. Um, so for the history, I actually ended up going with the, I, I think, Angelicum Academy curriculum and did the the story of ancient history and also the story of the Bible history, one and two. So my children are doing those two. Um, but there again, um, also, you know, things like curriculums, all that sort of stuff, if you do it well, plan in advance and know sort of where what's coming from, you can actually manage reasonably well. Okay. Um, and the delivery, definitely on Colby, and I think, um, yeah, it was also the Angelica, was, it was ridiculously fast. Yeah. I was like, I expected like in, you know, several weeks, two months, maybe, you know, had a, they were here within like four weeks. At the most, sometimes it turned up in two weeks. I'm like, it's here already. <laughs> How did they get that here so fast? So, um, and of course, the exchange, um, dollar exchange doesn't help. So here in New Zealand, I think we're almost at one to two. So that means also that I paid almost double the price for my resources in the US. And that's just, that's not really anything we can do about because most of our resources come from overseas. Very little of the homeschool curriculum still comes from here. So we're still working with NCP, Saxon, um, you know, uh, Seton, uh, Sadler. Um, they're all overseas publishers, all overseas um, issuers. There is actually no um, homeschool curricular material printed here in New Zealand. Um, and that is just one of the challenges um, if you want to go with a very academic heavy homeschool um, the side effect of that is is that we end up with extremely hybrid systems here okay <laughs> so I have what we call an eclectic system <laughs> um, so I use Colby Academy as my base and the Ignatian method is what informs my underlying but I am a professed secular Franciscan so my Franciscan religious worldview has a huge impact and that is where probably as I say with plants yes. <laughs> I'm a gardener um, I love my nature and I'm very ecology um, focused so as a consequence my curriculum has kind of blended the Ignatian and the Franciscan worldviews okay. which is a really weird <laughs> combination it almost like 
it, and for some people, it's like, how do you manage to just about blend the two most polar opposite um, <laughs> ways of doing things? But the irony is that it, it actually works because they almost make the two halves of the perfect whole. Um, it supports the child in ec academic perspective and development and the fact that there is a progression and that, you know, but it also supports the more creative, the more spontaneous, um, I guess, the more reflective element that um, the a natural education provides. Mm. So they inform each other. And sometimes they'll bleed into each other. Um, so usually I use the Faith of Life, good example, Faith of Life um, series for their religion studies but we can have it that it's the first subject in the morning we can have it that at a certain stage we will talk about the feast day and then that kind of goes and takes its own life <laughs> and they were like okay well we don't really need to do religious studies now <laughs> at least not not out of the book because it kind of yeah it, it's kind of organically flown out of that um and for me, context has always been really, really important. Um, I'm a firm believer that if we do education, we need to make it applicable to the individual learning. I've seen that in my stepson who's 26. Absolute disaster when it came to maths. But you wouldn't believe it. He's a fully qualified builder. <laughs> okay. And the difference was simply that when you try to teach this kid maths without any context it just did not stick you just couldn't get it it was too headspace it was too cognitive for him the minute you gave him a hammer or how do you call it and you asked him to measure stuff or you asked him to do geometry or trigger whatever he needed for his building it was perfect it was brilliant and the reason for it was because there was an application it was contextual he had a purpose for what he was learning and I think that's the beauty of um, why I've kind of gone with the eclectic is that it allows my children to take what they've learned through the Colby Academy system and the Ignatian method and apply it on a hands-on Franciscan basis okay. out in my garden, out in my kitchen, um, you know, whether it is through making sourdough and the, the science of fermentation. <laughs> Okay. Or looking for the mushrooms in my garden. It's hundreds off. <laughs> that, you know, it, it goes together. I know I have to ask two non-related things because at dinner tonight, I'll be talking to my, my children, my wife, and saying, well, we had a podcast with somebody who's homeschooling in New Zealand. And they'll say, well, did you ask about the the birds because we've watched the nature shows and that you know you when you talk about the remoteness that there are only bats and and uh and birds in new zealand until men came and kind of brought them do mm -hmm. do you have all sorts of interesting birds and things that you that we you do have? we do we have a huge amount of native bird species here obviously also introduced we have the house sparrow and the blackbirds and, you know, the, the Indian miners and things like the, uh, the song thrush. But we also have a huge number of native species from everything from flightless, obviously the kiwi being the most common, of which we have about six subspecies. 
Um, and then, of course, uh, the parrots, like the kia and the kaka, who have a personality of their own. <laughs> <laughs> and then the beautiful songbirds, like the bellbird and the tui and, you know, um, and, and the magnificent wood pigeon, the kereru, um, one of my favourites. So, yeah, there is a huge, huge amount of bird life here, and I don't think, unless it's really bad weather, raining, you're com- continuously surrounded by bird song. Um, the other thing is obviously insects. Huge amount of variety of insects. Um, the beauty, though, is that here in New Zealand, we have very little that is actually venomous. Oh, that's good. So you can go out in the bush and not have to worry that you're going to get bitten by a snake or uh, bitten by a, um, a very deadly spider or things like that. Um, which allows us actually to interact with nature probably uh, in a lot more relaxed um, and closer than what some people would probably like because of the apprehension um, and the fear, especially with young families. Um, But yeah, and then of course the bats, the two little bats, which um, interestingly enough that you bring that up because my little girl in one of her last year's lockdown projects did a project on them, on our little, um, yeah, um, short tail and our long tail bats. Mm-hmm. Um, the only native endemic mammals of New Zealand. There is no nothing. Everything else is introduced, and I think that's the beauty of it: the closeness of nature here. Yeah, you know, my children can go out and they can watch. They can lie on their stomachs without really too much apprehension of getting hurt it does though mean that you have to work a wee bit harder in developing a sense of stewardship and respect um obviously when something can hurt you you know not to interfere with it (laughs) and uh, definitely little children have a tendency to you know poke and prod and uh, work out whether things can survive having their legs pulled off and things like that yeah so um, that's here in New Zealand because most things don't bite back. <laughs> you do have to say, look, you know, you need to be careful. Um, mm-hmm. They're fragile. We need to look after them. So, so it's a slightly different approach. <laughs> True. Yeah. And, and my children will know about the beauty of your area, but largely because of the the famous Lord of the Rings and Hobbit sets and such too. So, yeah. Have you had a chance to visit any of the so um, it's kind of scattered all about. I actually live about, ooh, how, how far would it be? Just over an hour, hour and a half maybe from a place called Matamata. Now, Matamata has the alternative name as Hobbitville. That is actually where Hobbiton was built in the countryside. Some of it's in the South Island, and I have been to those locations. I have traveled through, actually, I've seen just about every corner of New Zealand. And the easiest way to explain New Zealand is Europe in a nutshell. So all the different um, climates, terrains that you find in Europe, like the Alps, um, the wetlands, the lowlands, the bush, um, the that part you find here in New Zealand, um, to the point also where the northern part, and definitely where I am, um, 
you can drive through the bush that is so untouched here that you literally would expect like dinosaur heads to pop out from above the trees. <laughs> That's <laughs> how prehistoric some of it still actually looks. Wow. It's a very diverse place from a, um, a, a flora perspective and also ge geology because of course we've got a lot of volcanic and ge um, geological activity with geysers and all sorts. It sounds like a beautiful place. It is very beautiful, yes. But the environment's not quite as harsh and extreme as in places um, like in the US. So our geothermal areas, for example, not as harsh as Yellowstone. Hmm. But you will see the beauty and the colours that you see in Yellowstone also here in the natural mineral pools and all that. Just on far smaller scale. Tucked away. That's it's like great. someone's taken a whole bag of gems and just cast them straight through New Zealand. Wow. <laughs> Definitely worth a visit. Sounds, certainly sounds like it. But well aware that it is not the cheapest option, <laughs> nor the shortest flight <laughs> from where you are. <laughs> well, Mika, this sure has been a lovely conversation. I'm so glad I got to see you again and visit with you in, in more depth this time. I sure do appreciate you coming to talk to us. I want to uh, reference a few episodes I mentioned earlier, uh, number 35 with uh, Colby Mom Carolla in Spain, number 104 with Nikki in Germany and Vanessa in, in Florida, the United States, and number 107 with Rhea in the Philippines and Amy in Nigeria. We'll have links to all these in our show notes. Uh, we're curious to hear about the homeschooling realities of our Colby families around the world and invite other international families to reach out and tell us about their experiences. So please drop us a line to podcast at colby.org with those. Uh, Mika, we wish you a great new year and thank you so much for all you have contributed to, to the Colby community all these many years. Thanks so much. Definitely. And a very, very sincere, deeply heartfelt thank you to everything that you guys have done. Um, the impact that Colby has had on my life, on my family's life, and as a consequence, the community that I now live in and everybody that my life has touched has. I, I don't have words to describe that or to pass on the depth of gratitude that that actually, that I hold for that. Subscribe to the ColbyCast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or a review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.